Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Have you ever heard the saying that more is caught than is even taught? You ever heard that before? It's this idea that observing one's actions is far more important, far more valuable than just merely hearing someone's words. So more is caught than really is ever even taught. And what we're going to find as we pick back up in our study of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8 is we are going to find a season in the life of this book, in the life of the church, where so much is being caught even far more than what is being taught. And I love it, and we get to journey through this together. And I want to talk about that just for a moment. Because here's my prayer, that as we continue in this series, the gospel at work, that you and I, as we begin to engage Scripture this morning and for the next few weeks, that you and I would simply start catching courage. One of the themes throughout the book of Acts is this idea of a courage, a boldness that stems from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, at the beginning of this year, I think it's valuable for all of us to catch courage and to spend time doing that through the word of God. Talk about more being caught than taught. I'll never forget when I was around kindergarten, I was in a Catholic school in the state of North Carolina, and I'll never forget one day out the playground, one of, one of the boys I went to class with taught me how to curse. Those are just some of the good things you learn in a Christian school, right? And so I learned how, how, how to curse, and he taught me every correct pronunciation, everything I needed to know to curse well. And so, of course, being a, an older brother, I had a brother who's less than a year younger than me, I, I went home and I began to to teach him the ways of, of cursing, right? How to curse like a gentleman. And so we would always sit at that, those old-fashioned metal screen doors, you know, and, and we would sit there at our house, and we would always wait for my dad to come home. He was the police department there in Goldsboro, North Carolina. And I'll never forget the day that I came home, and we were sitting there holding onto a ledge looking out for dad, and I began his first lesson. And I began to teach him, and I taught him very well. And he was repeating them. He was doing it just right. And I'll never forget, too, that all of a sudden, as if somebody had grabbed his hair, his presence was gone from me. I remember as a young boy thinking, huh, did he just disappear? And then all of a sudden, there was pressure on the hair on my head. And I was whisked away. And the next conscious thought I had, we were both sitting in a bathroom. And there was mom. And she breaks out a box of this. This is Dove soap. Now back in my day, this was about the size of a 40-inch TV, okay? Listen, unbelievable. And she took that soap out there, and she said, boys, open your mouth. Now listen, parents, let me just run something by you real quick. I'm going to read the ingredients in this for you, okay? We have sodium laurel, steric acid, lauric acid. There's acid in here, sodium toluate, sodium. I, I can't pronounce. You know what this is? Death in a box. And mom brings us into the bathroom. She said, boys, listen, open your mouth. Now, my brother, if you know him, he's a pastor here locally. Um, I won't tell you, who he, Chris Kendall, Oak City. Anyway, he, he's a suck-up and has always been his whole life. It's unbelievable. He's a suck-up. And literally, I watched him that morning go, 
And man, mama put that soap in there. And bubbles went everywhere. I even think he said it tasted good. But man, mama came to me and I was like, mama, I ain't doing it. it you're going to kill me. I ain't doing it, right? I choose, I choose life today. And then she said these words. Wait until your father gets home. Mom, you remember this? You, you, yeah, you remember this day. I didn't even know you were sitting back there. I got scared. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm going to preach over here. Anyway, wait till your father gets home. And man, I'm going to tell you the fear that overwhelmed my little kindergarten heart. Because you know what I learned that day? A lot more is caught than taught. Because when I caught a whooping that day, the lesson I learned from it versus the words I was teaching my brother were far greater. What is caught, oftentimes it's more important and valuable than what is even taught. And so today, we pick back up where we left off in December in our series of messages through the book of Acts, the gospel at work. Now the events leading up to chapter 8, where we pick back up today, are crucial. Luke, remember, is writing an account to Theophilus, um, and he speaks of in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' ascension into heaven after his resurrection from the dead, promising the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you'll remember in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus would say this to the disciples, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I like to look at that as the great commission in action. What's it going to look like played out? In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and the church is birth an incredible chapter in Acts chapter 3 through 5 we watch the gospel spread in the city of Jerusalem and pockets of persecution begin to fire up in chapter 6 we are introduced to what are going to be two important leaders in the book of Acts by the name of Stephen and by the name of Philip two of seven men chosen to help minister meet the needs of widows who were being overlooked and neglected by the church Chapter 7 of Acts, Stephen is killed for his faith, his stand for Christ and the gospel. Stephen might have been the first believer killed for his faith in the Bible, but he would not be the last. Let's watch as this continues to unfold in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. So turn in your Bibles there, or you can take a look up here at the screen. It says this, and Saul approved of their killing. Remember, Saul was a part of the panel that saw too that Christians were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And on that day, watch what the Bible says, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, now watch the language here. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, meaning this, outside of the apostles of Jesus, all other believers were pushed outside of the city due to this persecution. Verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. That word destroy paints the picture. He ravages the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But you know what? There's an amazing part of this description that I want us to take careful note of this morning. Did you catch it? That the gospel left Jerusalem for the first time in the mouths of everyday believers. The gospel left the city walls, not in the mouths of pastors and apostles. But the gospel leaves the city in the mouths of everyday believers. Believers. Hey, church, by the way, that is the church being the church. That is a picture of the gospel at work. The persecution that we see here in chapter 8 
was used by God to push the church, the gospel, outside the walls of Jerusalem. I oftentimes wonder this. What's it going to take here at Connect Church to push the gospel outside of these walls? Not just in the mouths of pastors and leaders, but as we see here in chapter 8, in the mouths of every believer to a world so desperate for him. The Bible continues to, to share this story. It says from verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Hey, can we just stop there? This is another incredible picture of what a disciple of Jesus Christ, what he looks like, what she looks like, and what they do. is that no matter where they were, wherever they went, they shared the gospel to people. Wherever they went. May it be said of you and me that, man, wherever, wherever she goes, the gospel goes with her. And she shares, man, wherever he goes, whatever business dealings he has, everywhere that guy goes, the gospel goes with him. And he tells people about, hey, no matter what school you go to, students, that no matter where you are, the gospel goes with you. And you share the gospel with people. I love that. The Bible continues to say this. Now Philip, remember his name, went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Hey, by the way, wherever the gospel goes, there's great joy. Why? It is good news. Here's what we begin to see of the gospel, and we'll pick up on Philip later. You ready? Here's what we learn of the resiliency of the gospel. The gospel is unstoppable. It is unbreakable. It is unshakable. Kill its messengers, and the message is still very much alive. In prison, the preacher and the word still pour forth unimpeded. Threaten its witnesses and watch the gospel spread. Like wildfire, the resiliency of the gospel is seen even here in chapter 8 of Acts. In verse 9, we're introduced to two of the main players in this showdown in Samaria. Let's take a look. Now, for some time, a man by the name of Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of, of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So we have this picture of a man by the name of Simon, and now we get introduced to a man by the name of Philip. Oh, I think I just passed it. So let me read verse 12. It says this. Um, when it comes to this Philip person, that Philip proclaimed, oh, I got it, it's right here, that he himself believed and was baptized and followed Philip. So we watch this, that whatever's taking place, we have this dichotomy in this man by the name of Simon who was obsessed with sorcery. But on the other hand, in verse 12, here's what we find out about a man by the name of Philip. And I have it here. It says this, but when they believed, meaning the Samaritans in that city, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, that they were baptized, both men and women. So we have this picture here of Simon the sorcerer who has, who has wild people with his sorcery. And we have the picture of a man by the name of Philip who has amazed people with the gospel. The showdown is set. The stage is set. 
Talk about catching courage. Philip walked right onto Simon the sorcerer's turf, and he laid down the gospel. Now, here's interesting to note from history. The earliest account of this Simon in Acts chapter 8 that we find outside of Scripture is from that of Justin Martyr, who wrote about him in the middle of the 2nd century B.C. or A.D., and he said this, that Simon a Samaritan from the village of Gito was worshipped by almost all of the Samaritans of his day as the first God. As the first God. You know what, if there was any ground seemingly surrendered to the enemy, it was the ground found in this city. Yet when it comes to the gospel, what we learn is this, that there is no such thing as surrendered ground where the gospel cannot stake a claim, where the gospel cannot retake. And I think of this and I wonder, what is the surrendered ground in your life? What is the surrendered ground where you're convinced that that God can't do a work? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your work environment. Maybe the truth is it's an addiction in your life. Maybe the truth is it's just the way your family is and God will never work. You know, oftentimes if we're not careful, there's a whole lot of surrendered ground around us that we've convinced that God can't even work there. And yet we see God at work on the turf of Simon the sorcerer. Note the contrast. Philip's signs and wonders were in the power of God through Christ, whereas Simon's sorcery was was rooted in demonic activity, as is all sorcery. In fact, be reminded that God forbade the Israelites to practice sorcery in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In fact, he gave the death penalty to those involved with sorcery in Exodus 22.18. Now, I want to be careful here, because what we're speaking of with Simon is not what we would con- consider present-day magic tricks. I, uh, I went to Amazon. Now, listen, I don't want emails that I was practicing sorcery up here, okay? These are illusions. But I went to Amazon and spent about $10, and for $10, I found some really cool stuff. Watch this. You ready? Give me a second here. Okay, magic wand. You ready? <laughs> I've practiced this all weekend. <laughs> Look at that right there. It's pretty cool. Isn't it? I will never tell you how this happened, okay? But just know, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I got another one for you. You ready? Here, just one second. Wait, something fell out. <laughs> Let me see. Just give me a minute. Y'all talk amongst yourselves. My kids love this one. Okay, here we go. You ready? Nothing is in my hands as you can see, but all of a sudden, you got a magic light ball, right, that you could throw, and you could pass back and forth and catch. I practice this in front of the mirror, right? That you could even take to a brainless person and put it in their brain, and, and you could pull it out, Right? I'm not going to tell you how it's done, but anyway, um, I, I found, see what else I found. By the way, since I was a boy, this was a dream. <laughs> Please the crowds. Uh, okay, here we go. 
Um, another magic wand. That one has a flower in it. So um, you got a magic hat, right? There's nothing in here, as you can see. But you're supposed to tap in all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you have a bunny coming out of the hat. Isn't that good? Right? Yeah, hey, listen, thank you. I spent hours uh, perfecting that. And $10 on Amazon. Hey, listen, you ready? We're not talking about that when we speak of sorcery. We're talking about something entirely different. We're not talking about modern-day magic tricks, which are mere illusions, a trick of the mind, a sleight of the hand. We are talking that Simon was engaging in accessing supernatural power through demonic forces. Guys, this is dangerous stuff. And Simon was all about it. In fact, we go on and we find even more contrast. You see, Simon the sorcerer boasted of how great he was, whereas Philip boasted in the greatness of Christ. Simon drew people to himself, where Philip encouraged people to draw near to Jesus. Again, a picture of the task of all believers. Note, in this conversation of catching courage, any coward can make much of themselves. Spend 4.3 seconds on social media and you'll see that. But here's the truth. It is the work of the courageous to make much of someone else who is far more worthy. And that's what Philip does. He makes much of Jesus. And you know what we begin to see? That the power that you and I have in Christ, for Christ, is rivaled by none. And we begin to see something encouraging happen here in verse number 12. The gospel starts stealing the thunder of Simon's sorcery. Simply put, the cheap counterfeits of the demonic cannot up, uphold or stand hold a light to the real and the overwhelming forces of the power of God. And we see that at play. The people of this Samaritan city in Acts chapter 8 are seeing God's power on full display, validating the message of the gospel and the message of the gospel through a man by the name of Philip. And I love as we watch this that I've got I've I've to throw this out there. I've got to throw out a warning. And that is this, that you and I as believers ought to be careful with what we are amused by. You know what I'm finding the older I get? There aren't many things in this life that are spiritually neutral. Don't flirt with stuff that God hates. Don't flirt with stuff that God hates. That's what these people were doing in this city. Now moving on, and here's the verse I misplaced, and we're going back to it now. It says this, that Simon himself was believed. To our amazement, that even Simon believes and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. Simon was amazed and amused by what he could see with his eyes. But note that he was not amazed at the gospel, not amazed at the cross of Christ, or the greatest of all power displayed throughout history, and that was the resurrection of Jesus. He was a man who wanted supernatural power and wielded it to some extent in his sorcery. But here in Acts chapter 8, he is exposed to a power far greater than he could wield, the power of God. 
He was power hungry. And now he had an appetite for the very power of God. Now, I want us to focus in on one word in this passage that might throw us off. And that is the word in the Greek for believed. The word believed, that he believed. Oftentimes through the New Testament, when this word is used, it speaks of salvation. But note this, not all the time is this word equated to a saving belief in Scripture. James reminds us of this in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that there is one God good. For watch, for even the demons believe. The same word is used. Even the demons believe that, and the Bible says that they shudder. The same word believe is used here for the demons, and clearly it is not a saving belief. Rather, in the context of this passage, it is a belief based on the retaining of information or knowledge about Jesus. Hey, by the way, did you know that you can know all about Jesus and still be lost without him? You can have all the knowledge you want about him and still be lost without him. Knowing Jesus doesn't save anyone. The demons know all about him and are still lost. Yet with Simon, we find a profession of Jesus, but we see no proof. Whereas with Philip, we have a profession of faith in Christ. And there's proof of Jesus. We see it. Remember this, that catching courage begins with a fruitful faith in Jesus as seen in Philip. Not a fake faith as seen in Simon. Let me ask you this, church. If you were in a courtroom today, would there be enough evidence, enough proof in your life to convict you of being a Christian. The truth was, is there wasn't in signs. And there was ample evidence in Philip's life. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says this, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. Listen, news travels fast. It gets all the way back to Jerusalem that, that this city's accepted the word of God. They sent Peter and John to Samaria. Now, remember this. Here's the good thing about preaching through the Bible and not just going topical, is you wrestle with some passages that are a little bit hard to understand, and this is one of them. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had yet to come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And the question becomes for us is, now how can you be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you of something that I reminded you of in the very beginning of this series. That I mentioned that there will be things in Acts of what we see that is narrative, right? Meaning this, it's telling us what happened. Although it may be narrative, it's not necessarily normative. Meaning we aren't necessarily commanded to replicate it. For instance, Acts chapter 2, upper room. The Bible says that all of a sudden the sound of wind rushes through the room. Tongues of fire appear above those in the room, and they began to speak in tongues. And that just so ha- oh, there went my magic trick. Anyway, that just so happened to be in the language of people who are around them. Now it's telling us of what happened, but nowhere are we commanded today to cut the lights, send wind in here, hope fire appears above our head, and then start speaking in tongues all together in the many different languages of our world. It's telling us of what happen 
but not necessarily if it's normative of the church. This event in Acts chapter 8 is seemingly unique and served to do this to affirm and to authorize the message and the messengers of the gospel in Samaria. And watch Simon's response to this. You can imagine this guy's getting pretty excited. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. As my girls would say, say what? Say, say what? Peter seemingly is caught off guard here as well. And watch his response. And Peter answered, hey, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Hey, first of all, note this church. The power of God is not for sale. Your money can't buy it. Your good works cannot earn it. Nor can your popularity or position secure it. It's not for sale. And Peter goes on and he challenges Simon and says this. Repent of this wickedness. And pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness. And the Bible says, captive to sin. Hey, real quick. The only recourse, the only hope for a heart full of wickedness and bitterness and held captive to sin is to repent, to turn from sin and self, to trust in Jesus, and to give him your life. The heart condition described here in verse 22 is not that of a believer. But Simon was a lost man who knew about Jesus. But he really didn't know Jesus. And we see that played out. Simon's intention, watch you church, you ready? Was to harness the power of the Holy Spirit for his own gratification, not for the glory of God. And needless to say, as his story plays out, he was unsuccessful. When I think of Simon, I'm reminded of a quote by Matt Chandler where he said this, some people don't want God. They just want his stuff. Like some people just really don't want anything to do with him. But they really like his stuff. Simon didn't want Jesus. He just wanted his stuff. And you know as believers... We're just challenging this thought. Want Jesus more than his stuff. And by the way, you get his stuff too. Want Jesus more than just his stuff. And in faith in Christ, we get his stuff too. Learn this lesson from a sorcerer today. Who knew that we could learn a lesson from a sorcerer? A life lived to gratify you will always be unsuccessful and powerless. A life lived to the glory of God, as we see in Philip, will always succeed and be accompanied by his power. That is what catching courage is all about. Now, Anthony, I've got to use my prop here too. What is it this morning, reading this account, what is it that we can pull out of this hat here in Acts chapter 8 and take home today. What difference does this make? You ready? Number one, catching courage deals in genuine faith. 
whereas Simon's faith was exposed and he turned out to be a great big phony. Can I ask you a question? Is there proof of the faith you profess in Jesus? Is there evidence? Maybe the truth is, is your faith may be phony like Simon's, void of proof. If so, today is the day of salvation for you. The very same Jesus Philip preached in that day in the Samaritan city is the very same Jesus who can save you today in this church. And he can do it and he will do it. The second thing, catching courage takes back surrendered ground that has seemingly been given over to the enemy. Just as Philip does in Acts chapter 8. Philip invades the backyard of the sorcerer with the invitation of salvation alone in Christ. Taking back ground, surrendered to Simon. What ground have you surrendered in your life today? What ground sits there just surrendered? What ground have you given up on? Are you married? And yet you've given up on your marriage? God can still work. God can still invade your marriage and save your marriage. Given up ground with your kids? Guys, listen, God has not given up. God can still work. God can still invade the lives of your kids. How about your workplace? Man, it's hopeless there. Are you kidding me? God hasn't surrendered that ground, and neither should you. The gospel can make a difference. How about your addiction? It's seemingly with all addictions, there's tons of surrendered ground. But I want to tell you the hope of the gospel is in conversation with Jesus, there is no such thing as surrendered ground. The gospel can take hold. Maybe some of y'all have been hurt so deep that your faith seems to be surrendered ground. Your character, your integrity. Today, catching courage challenges us to start reclaiming surrendered ground in the power of Christ. And third, catching courage understands the gospel works both inside the walls and outside the walls of the church. If your faith is a genuine faith like Philip's, are you putting it to work for the glory of God and the good of people? Are you sharing and living the gospel as they were, wherever they went? Let your faith be living proof that God is real, Jesus redeems, and the Holy Spirit is ready to move in and through your life. The people in the Samaritan city of Acts chapter 8 were described in verse 14 as accepting the word of God. And in verse 8, as a people with great joy know what that's my prayer for people inside the walls of this building and outside the walls of this building that they would accept the word believe in Jesus and that there would be great joy in their hearts and their lives that they would be they would join us in catching the courage of the gospel you know one of the ways that um I've really loved this past year that we've stepped outside our, our walls was through this paying off of medical debt. 
this RIP Medical Debt Partnership where you raised enough money to abolish $6.3 million of medical debt over the past year. And those letters have gone out, and I've got it from some inside sources around Sevier County, that they've been been being delivered to mailboxes all around. It's exciting. Well, this past week, we got our first bit of feedback. We received a letter, and I want to share it with you. Because it's a reminder that as we start catching courage from the gospel, and this desires we see in Acts chapter 8 of the gospel to spill outside the walls as they did in Jerusalem, outside the walls of this church, into our community, and even outside the walls of our community, which your medical debt help has done. Listen as a mom writes us this week. And she says, thank you from the bottom of my heart for this blessing. Our family endured one of the hardest seasons of life this past year with the loss of our son. We committed to starting this year anew by committing to follow God fully, as we should, she wrote. One way was in tithes and offerings. She says, Sunday's offering of a full tithe was difficult with the amount of bills due. She said, I reminded my husband of Malachi 3, 6 through 10, and although difficult to do, he agreed to give his whole tithe to God. Then the very next day, we received this blessing of our medical debt forgiven. You are truly allowing God to work through you. She writes, thank you again for this blessing. I'll be in prayer for you and your ministry. And she said, hopefully one day my, my family will be in a position to donate in order to help bless another family need I read that in my office past week Pastor Justin and Zach on speaker from their office called my office said you got to see this and they sent it to me and I uh, I opened it up I said okay give me one second I read it and man I just wept at my desk like like boy I just just overwhelmed my heart and Pastor Justin goes are you crying I said I'm not crying, you are. (laughs) And we went back and forth. And you know what's amazing? Is that as a church, our heartbeat is not only only see joy when people come to Jesus within the walls of this building, but outside the walls of this building, even outside the walls of our community. And you know what? That's a glimpse of the impact it can have. That's the... That's a glimpse of the difference. Now, this was not a lost woman in need of Christ, but you know what? It was a Christian in need to be reminded that God loves and cares for them intimately, and he used your generosity and your impact to do so. Catching courage takes the gospel wherever we go, especially outside the walls of this church, inside and outside the walls of this community. And my question for you this morning Are you ready to start catching courage with me? Are we ready to start catching this courage of the gospel together as a family? I think of Valerie who's in the back right now working as part of our, our media up here. And her and a team are fixing to go to Uganda this week with the gospel. 
You know why? Because the gospel can't just remain in our Jerusalem, our Seville. It's got to break outside the walls to people who desperately need them. How is God, how is God prompting you and challenging you, catching courage in your family, in this community, and outside the walls of this community? Let's pray together. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.